Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's up, guys? This is Dave Duenas, and you're listening to Leave It In The Ring Network. Be sure you go to our YouTube, subscribe, hit the like button, and hit that notification bell so you're alerted when we bring up new content on the YouTube channel. Right now, you're about to tune in to Fish Sonatos with Evan Rukowski. Enjoy. He's not getting up, Jim. He's not getting up, Jim. He's not getting up. No, he's been knocked out. It's over. Mamma mia, he's done it. Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko. AJ does it in style. Beaten down, hopeless, without an answer, and Lomachenko has made Rigandau quit. It's Fistionados with Evan Rutkowski. He's a good boy, you know. Hello, fight fans. It is Wednesday, July 1st, and this is the Fistionados podcast on the Leave It in the Ring radio network. I'm your host, Evan Rakowski, former HBO sports marketing executive, giving you my take on what's happening in the sport of boxing on your screen and behind the scenes. Email me at fistinados at yahoo.com. Follow me on Twitter at fistinadospod. We are brought to you by Ring Magazine and ringtv.com. This episode is a Q&A. I hadn't um, done one of those in a while. We'll get to that part in a second as the deep dive, but right now let's just get into the review section. I will try to get through this, just sort of jam through this as quickly as possible because there's a lot. Uh, (laughs) There's been a lot of boxing on ESPN. Let's start with Thursday, June 18th. We had the Jose Pedraza-Mikel Lespierre fight at junior welterweight, which didn't end up happening because Lespierre's manager tested positive for COVID, and because of the protocols in place, the fight got delayed. It's actually happening tomorrow night. So then Gabe Flores beat Josek Ruiz by wide unanimous decision. The Clay Collard, David Kaminsky uh, fight happened. Clay Collard won in a great fight. This card averages 305,000 viewers. It was the number 79 rated cable show of the day. Saturday, June 20th on ESPN from Mexico City. We had Emmanuel Navarrete winning by KO6 over Uriel Lopez. Not a ton to say about this one. The show averages 327,000 viewers. Actually, one noteworthy element here, it follows a decent UFC Fight Night card that was the number five cable show of the day that averaged 912,000 viewers. And that's obviously, that's a terrible drop-off. But I'm actually kind of surprised that ESPN actually put these fights, these sort of Mexico City-based fights, which are, all of them are complete mismatches. Uh, You know, I understand they're trying to come back there too, but the... These are crazy mismatches, and they put them on ESPN instead of ESPN+. Plus. You know, look, full disclosure here, I watch every single fight that I talk about when I do a review section. 
and I didn't watch this fight. Like the, the odds going in were like two hundred fifty to one. I just wasn't going to watch the fight. So moving on. Um, so the, obviously that's a terrible drop off, but at the same time, it's like I think the <laughs> the boxing audience kind of knew what that was going in. Let's just let's let's leave it at that. Moving on, Tuesday, June 23rd on ESPN, back in Vegas, in the bubble. We had Josh Franco pulling the upset over Andrew Maloney at super flyweight. Christopher Diaz beating Jason Sanchez at featherweight. The show does 310,000 viewers. It was the number 69 rated show on cable TV. We had Thursday, June 25th, Jason Maloney being Leonardo Baez by KO7. That show does 345,000 viewers. Uh, actually, the ratings that day in terms of overall rankings, ESPN for some reason wasn't ranked in, in uh, none of their shows were. So I would guess that would be like borderline top 50 rated show when I looked at the actual numbers. You're probably in the, in the high 40s, low 50s on that. Saturday, June 27, Miguel Burchell wins by KO6 over Eliazar Valenzuela, and the show averages 418,000 viewers. It was the number 16. That's 1-6. Rated cable show of the day. And right after I get off my... I, I come down from Mount Pius to talk about the crazy mismatches and how they're, you know, huge drop-offs and low-rated show. I mean, this was a huge drop-off, too. Still the number 16-rated cable show of the day. I think... So it follows a pretty amazing UFC fight night, which had, like, a fight of the year contender in MMA that was the number one-rated cable show of the day. And I think if there's any, like overall pandemic analysis here that's worthwhile like you can kind of look at this like you sit you sit here you have the number one show of the day on cable which by the way averaging barely over a million viewers pre-pandemic the number one cable show of the day in a live sporting event would have at least averaged like 1.7 2 million probably 2.5 in college football season three four million something like that the fact that the number 16 show of the day is Barely getting over 400,000 viewers right now. It's just crazy. It's crazy. I, you know, the difference here, and I'll get into this a little bit later too, notable difference between what UFC is doing and what boxing is doing. And I think it's like, like UFC right now is just essentially putting on their normal product, except there's no fans in the stands. They're just doing it all from the UFC Apex Center. Boxing is open with the concept that they're putting on an inferior product. Boxing fans, I mean, they're not turning out in great numbers because of it. I mean, but boxing, to give boxing credit, they're fair, they're being fairly honest about this. So, um, and I actually think UFC, you actually have to give more credit. I mean, their viewership has experienced some ups and downs uh, during the pandemic. Obviously, they did the great numbers for the show back in March. Which not all their shows have had amazing viewership numbers, but overall, it's been a major bright spot for ESPN. Um, and actually, let's just get through Tuesday, June 30th. Alex Saucedo beats Sonny Fredrickson at junior welterweight by unanimous decision. Shows the number 82 rated cable show of the day. It averages 298,000 viewers. Um, and before I get, before I even go any further with this, let's just go right into the deep dive. Uh, the, I, I had a question that covers this. So I'm just literally, I'll just go right into it. I'll stop. I'm not even going to preview the deep dive. It's a Q and a. Haven't done one of these in a while, um, and and maybe I should do more of them, especially, you know, in the coming the coming month or two. There might be room for another one, especially as other promoters start to come back. So, boxing ain't easy. Ask how happy is ESPN with the ratings? They 
they got with the boxing programs, these past shows, do you think? So, Boxing and Easy. I covered this a little bit last episode. I've talked about it a little bit up top. I've personally talked with an ESPN exec who was, like, happy with the ratings the top rank has gotten. I've also heard from other people that there are ESPN execs who aren't thrilled. Um, which, by the way, this is, uh, like, the concept that, like, when I was at HBO, the concept that HBO was happy with the ratings, that was, like, just to sort of give you a behind-the-scenes look, that was, like, a journalist would ask uh, one of my favorite people at HBO all the time, Ray Stallone, a question, and he would sort of give them an answer that summed up what the collective thinking was. But you are always going to be able to find execs who were not happy with certain numbers and execs who were happy with certain numbers. Uh, and they might have different opinions on the same number, and some of them might not have cared at all about certain numbers, and some of them, you know, everyone has a different agenda with this. So I'm sure there are execs at ESPN who are thrilled about this. I'm sure that there are ESPN execs who are happy with this. Um, the, the raw numbers, while they're really bad, like, up until the last week or so, all of these were like literally the top-rated shows on ESPN each week. When they dip down to the low 300s, they aren't. And then when they in the higher 300s, they are. Like that's kind of, you know, where the line is. I think as, you know, the the what we've seen here is when you do a bubble. And remember, this is what's going to have to happen for the NBA to be successful. Like, you lose fights that actually some of them have name fighters, and that's going to lower your viewership numbers. Others mitigating factors, Aaron pointed this out publicly, they're not reporting the ESPN to core days numbers, which can be significant. I mean, yeah, they can be significant, and they aren't reporting those. Um, it still doesn't change the rating, you know, the, the, the overall rating and, and, and that – yeah, is that a factor? Yes, it's, it's a factor. It's not a huge factor. I also think everyone at ESPN right now and everyone working in any live sport is just like the focus is getting the sport on the air successfully. And we're seeing how difficult that is for every network doing this. And it goes back to kind of what I was saying. Like, you just kind of have to give the UFC extra credit for putting on its normal product right now. Like NASCAR is kind of like the only other thing that's doing that. Um, and even that has had a weird moment because of the whole uh, political sort of, I hate to call it political because obviously I'm incredibly supportive of Black Lives Matter, but you know, with what happened with Bubble Walls, it, it sort of had like a moment in the P, in, in PR, but everybody is struggling with this. Like you take normal stuff, fighter injuries. We've seen that in July. Like, that's happened. Rain delays have happened and affected golf and, and NASCAR. And it, like, just take your normal stuff and then add a pandemic. And it's just so incredibly difficult to do this. So give extra credit for, to the UFC for, for basically just kind of doing this and keeping the train running. Um, like I said, I think. It's tough to compare ESPN because Top Rank and ESPN are like admittedly not putting on their best product. Um, I'd say it's safe to say that no one at ESPN or Top Rank is popping champagne 
over these numbers, but I think Top Rank did do a good job of setting the expectations in place for what they're putting on, so no one's really that upset either. In fact, I think there's reason to believe that they are helping out uh, with a, a lead-in right now by simply having live sports on. So I think they, I think from that perspective, ESPN is probably pretty happy with what they're getting, um, in, in just that this is a great test run for them on a you know almost a you know twice a week basis, basically where they're behaving like normal ESPN. I think that probably just is important to ESPN. Um, like I said, every league is going to face these issues. And I think it's important for a place like ESPN, which is sports all day long, to know what they're going to be dealing with, especially as these bigger leagues, you know, come back. I mean, the NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball, they're all, you know, there's kind of like two different systems for top ranking UFC if you really want to break down the broadcast, which I know is not really what you asked. Um, so I won't do that right now. But here's the bottom line. If ESPN was unhappy, they would stop doing these shows. But we're seeing more of these coming in August. You know, apparently in August, ESPN is going to shift from doing top rank shows. They'll only do them on Thursdays. They'll do the UFC level, lower level shows on Tuesdays. I'm not sure if every Saturday will be a UFC. You might see some top rank moving back to Saturdays by September. Um, but no one really knows. And then, you know... ESPN is assuming it'll have baseball and NBA, but obviously that's a major assumption at this point. But if they were really unhappy, we'd, they would just not order more of them. So I hope that is somewhat of an answer to your question. Um, let's move on to Nando who asks, Hi Evan, is now a good time for DAZN to reset their business model in the U.S.? So many other businesses and sports are doing just that. They and their boxing promoter partners are having a consistently uh, hard time making big subscriber boosting fights. Ryan Garcia should be an opportunity, not a problem. I suggest copying the successful ESPN Plus model, $5 a month with pay-per-view capabilities. $5 gets you all of the out-of-market and small to mid-sized boxing cards. Meanwhile, you'll be able to more easily do business with other promoters. Also, you'll be able to give Ryan Garcia, Virgil Ortiz, Devin Haney, etc., a more accurate gauge of their true value and the incentive to make the biggest fights. Thanks, Nando. This is a really interesting question. I think you can go a lot of ways with it. I got several versions of it from different people off the top of my head. Canada, Chris was one of them. There are two or three others. Had, here's, so had DAZN not already decided to push hard behind going global? I would say the answer to this is a much more likely maybe, but probably probably might even be a little strong, but a strong maybe than we have now. I think had DAZN not push the global angle, then this, you know, makes a lot of sense. But when you go global, like pay-per-view doesn't really make much sense. Like here's why. Pay-per-view is really a phenomenon that works in the United States, in the UK, you know, to a certain extent in Canada and Australia, but really it's like a US and a UK phenomenon. And I'm sure there are other mar markets out there where it can make sense. But with most other markets, if the fight is happening, it's going to be on free TV or something like that. And DAZN right now wants to go global. And like they're securing soccer rights is an important part of this. But obviously, they look at boxing as a sport where global rights have been undervalued. They will matter quite a bit. Um, and I think... 
it would be too tough to explain to a worldwide audience that you need to pay a monthly fee for boxing and then also pay a larger fee to watch the really big fights. I mean, most countries around the world, the system just doesn't work that way, and it would take a lot of education. And I think it wouldn't go over well in the U.S. if you charge them a monthly fee to watch boxing and then a pay-per-view price, but didn't charge that pay-per-view price anywhere else in the world. So it's kind of tough. Um, I know Eddie Hearn answered a similar question on The Athletic in a Q&A a few days ago, and he was sort of pushing the pay-per-view idea as a post-COVID solution. You know, but to be honest, that's like a fairly self-serving answer because he's on pay-per-view in the UK right now, and it would make his life a lot easier if DAZN would do UK and US fights on pay-per-view and then still kind of go after a global audience. Um, and maybe easier isn't the right word, but it would, if he does it right, it would make it more lucrative. You know, obviously it makes making, you know, clearly it makes making the fights with a DAZN fighter and a non-DAZN fighter a lot easier. So that solves some problems. But look, all of this, you know, like, it gives you an, so I guess the best way of saying it is it's like an actionable way for networks to work together. But all this, like, it assumes that going global with boxing isn't going to work that well. Because if going global works, then DAZN can just use the data to make sure each area of the world can see their local stars fight and then make sure that everyone is aware about Canelo and AJ's and next fights and the real big ones. And I mean, this is a model that works. Like Netflix does a version of this. They just do it with Adam Sandler and Scorsese movies combined with making a bunch of crap and promoting the stuff that ends up being good and then adding in local programming and just sort of going around. I mean, if you, if, if this is successful, if you know, if it turns out that Thailand has a bunch of subscribers, DAZN's going to put on a lot of more Sarisa Katsura run Visai fights. And we'll watch those, but we'll watch them, you know, whatever's live for them. Um, if it works well in the UK, we'll get a lot more fights in the UK like that. I mean, that's just how, that's the nature of going global. They're going to use data. And if the United States data isn't good... We still might get to watch a lot of good fights. We'll just have to watch it happen somewhere else, basically. I mean, that's that's how this is going to work. Um, Johnny asks, opinion on fighters being on lockdown. Do you see upsets? Johnny, I think this is a great question. The very short answer is yes, and we've actually already seen some. So I see upsets coming not just in the next few weeks, but in the next few months for a couple of reasons. Like right now, upsets have already happened, and it's pretty clear that there is going to be a serious discrepancy between fighters who have been able to get in good training versus fighters who haven't. That will mostly favor veteran fighters who have the resources to pay for these things right now. I mean, I think we're about to move into a phase where at least like theoretically, you could have gotten in an entire training camp before you are fighting. But there's still so many variables in play here. I mean, this can include anything from like, how have travel restrictions affected your usual training camps if you typically travel for your training camps? How have travel restrictions affected your sparring for the fight? How has your diet or access to professional dietitians, or quite frankly, any other unique professional that you rely on for a training camp has been affected? Um, strength and conditioning coaches can be part of that conversation too. What we're <clears throat> What we're starting to see here is literally like, did you get the coronavirus and how has it affected you personally, including your conditioning? 
Like that's now part of the conversation. I mean, that's how, you know, Jamel Herring literally missed the fight because he got the coronavirus, but he was in such good shape that he's fighting only a couple of weeks after he actually got it and recovered from the virus. Um, has your fight date changed because you, your opponent, I mean, your opponent's manager tested positive or even gotten a false positive? You know, training camps are designed to peak at certain moments. And so, you know, these are all questions I've listed that can not only affect your physical performance, but also your mental well-being. Like, by the way, like, what also can affect your mental well-being is, like, are you frustrated by financials, which means you, like, your personal financial situation where you're forced to take a fight that you aren't ready to take? Or are you just pissed about getting less money for a fight that you were scheduled to have that you probably would have gotten more for? Um, I mean, do you have to work full time and would you normally have childcare? Uh, but that's not open now because of COVID. I mean, I think those are like, it's crazy to think about them because you never would have thought about those pre COVID. But I think all of these things are factors that make upsets just anywhere from more likely to much more likely, especially if there's several of them happening together. Um, there will be upsets. And if I was a betting man and Johnny, I know you are, I would consider crazy strategies, like just blindly betting every underdog when the opening lines come out, you probably at this point, based on what we've seen from some of the top ranked shows, we've seen a couple upsets with pretty significant underdogs. Um, and that you probably would make money doing that. And I think it, you know, it just basically makes it all more unpredictable, which makes every outcome more likely. Um, and it's funny, like I was actually talking with an MMA gambler not too long ago about this period in MMA a few years ago, where if you just blindly bet any underdog fighter who was plus 400 or higher, you just, it was like one of the most profitable things you could have done. And I think that's changed a little bit. Um, but it's just more a commentary on how much more unpredictable MMA is than boxing. And that's, I think, because there's just so many different ways to win in terms of utilizing skill sets. But now we're in a boxing period, like we're in a, a, a weird part of boxing that is where you're seeing similar circumstances, and it's all because of the virus. And I actually don't think it'll change more once you get into a full camp. Like I think this will go on for a year or even more, and the circumstances that will create this uncertainty will just change from like, did you get a full training camp into one of many other issues? Okay, Mookie asks, will the pandemic, <laughs> will my child stop crying in the room next door? Will the pandemic and fallout from this crisis lead to a market correction of sorts for boxing purses? Mookie, great question. I talked about this a little before, but to me, the answer has become uh, more clear as we're moving forward. Like, yes, there will be a market correction. And to be clear, this market correction was starting before the pandemic, and the pandemic is exacerbating it. I think there will be an extremely aggressive market correction and perhaps even an overcorrection, but that is going to happen for a few reasons. Number one, it probably needed to happen before the pandemic, especially at the very high end, uh, not on the sort of mid-level and lower end, but on the very high end, it probably needed to happen. Number two, the economics of a show have changed quite a bit. Like most people here were able to predict the obvious stuff, which is like the gates eliminated, like that entire revenue stream is gone. 
while there are more production costs to do the entire setup at a studio or some kind of home base arena, um, once you are set up, you can actually amortize those costs over a lot of shows. So you might have some cost savings over time. But like the cost of creating and living in a bubble and the constant testing involved is an expense that you could have predicted would be like expensive, but I'm not sure anyone realized how expensive that was going to be. It's turned out to be like really expensive. Um, and, and this goes for MMA too. This is going to go for the NBA. When they come back, everyone, I, I don't want to say they underestimated that. I, I don't think the general public realizes how expensive that stuff is. So uh, remember, two boxing promoters operate on much smaller margins, so there's not like a ton of fat to cut there. Um, I actually think while all these factors are very real, the fighter pay market faces much bigger issues than those going forward. Like these are all temporary things that we're talking about, but long term, fighter pay is going to be much more affected by whether or not a network drops out in the U.S. Like the fact that there are four different networks and multiple business models out there that have driven up fighter pay quite a bit um, on all different ends of the spectrum. Like I think the fear that one network will drop out is something that's just going to affect fighter pay. Like as each network figures out their own business model in this changing environment, that's going to affect fighter pay. And here's, and these two things work sort of together. Like, here's a couple of examples. So, like, as DAZN gets more info on which fights affect their sub-numbers or customer happiness, they will start lowering pay for the fights that don't make a difference. Um, and right now, these seem to be mid-tier fights or the mismatches. Like, that's on the streaming end. I think with PVC on Fox, like, similar concept. Like, the fights that seem to matter to them are the pay-per-view fights, and the fighters will still get paid decent paydays for those, like the guarantees might come down a little bit, um, or maybe in some cases significantly, but like the, the you know, the, you're still going to see good pay for those. Um, but for the shows on Big Fox, like PBC might start looking at those as similar to how DAZN looks at their mid-tier fights and they say, look, screw it, it's not worth it. Like, we're just not going to put a ton of resource into those fights. I mean, we've already seen Fox just eliminate shoulder programming for fights in our pay-per-view. And they actually laid off, like, I believe a really significant portion of the in-house people who worked on PBC and WWE. It wasn't just, um, it wasn't just the non-staffers who got laid off. It was, it was staff that got laid off too, who worked on those. Um, so then, you know, the other thing they were, they gave up golf and they were so desperate to do so that they broke a deal that had seven years and 700 million left on it. And NBC's picking up at a, like basically at like less than half price, and Fox is literally paying the difference not to air it. So they're paying over fifty million bucks a year not to air golf. And these are just like these aren't moves that you make in normal times. Um, they just aren't, you know. And anyone who's worked at a big company knows that right after there's a significant layoff or a cut somewhere in the company, that's not when you go and ask for a big pay raise. <laughs> like, so, yeah, there still might be fighters with big contractual guarantees who will get paid, but long-term, we're just not going to see fighters getting paid a ton of money because you're on Big Fox rather than FS1 in the Fox world. So similar concept with top-ranking ESPN. 
I mean, especially since they have both a linear network and a streaming service and pay-per-view to take into consideration here. Um, you know, and I mean, they didn't have layoffs, but they had for their very top earners, they had pay reductions. Um, like this just, this isn't the time to come in and think that you're going to get a big pay raise. There will be certain fighters who earn it, who go out there and earn it by winning a series of big fights. Um, but the days, you know, the days of just like, oh, I'm going to fight on Fox and make 2 million bucks. Like I think, you know, unless you already have it contractually guaranteed where there's literally not a pandemic clause in the contract, like, yeah, you'll get that money still, but unless, unless that's the case, it's just not going to happen. Um, you know, but anyways, going back to the original point here, the uncertainty will lead to promoters pulling back on the purses. And like, when you talk about what happens if a network were to pull, were to pull out, I mean, like, look, 12 months ago, people were literally writing the story that Showtime was leaving boxing. They're still here. And I actually think they might be here for the long haul more so than a lot of places. Um, the zone has obviously seen their plans go, you know, to go worldwide dramatically affected by this. And if they, you know, by the way, if DAZN succeeds in going worldwide, they should be able to outbid everyone for fighters, which maybe mitigate some. That might mitigate some of all the bad news I'm giving here. Um, but if they don't, they could just pull out of boxing and focus on soccer. You know, ESPN seems like sort of relatively stable to me, but the pandemic threw a big wrench into all this. I would say no one is a lock to be entrenched in the sport long term. Um, you know. Like I said, weirdly enough, I might actually bet on Showtime to come out of this in the best shape out of anyone and actually be paying the highest purses when this is all over. Um, but here's when you get that context. If you're the person, either the fighter or their manager, negotiating fighter pay, if you're negotiating for a fight on any network in the back of your mind, you know that not only will they try to lower your pay because of the pandemic and because of the changes they face. Remember, DAZN had people furloughed too. I mean, you know, Showtime's the only one who didn't see major pay cuts or, or public pay cuts or furloughs out of all these places. So you know, you know they're going to use this, that not only the network has experienced pain, but they're going to use that as an excuse to lower your pay. And you also know that if another network leaves, lots of fighters will be without a home and they're going to try to come to your network. And so you have to stay on good terms when you negotiate with your network. So you can't be really that difficult in negotiations. You kind of, if you are difficult and someone does leave, you're going to be fearful that you're going to be put on the back burner. Like, so it's kind of like these things become, you know, you, you want your network to succeed. Obviously the worst case scenario is your network is the one that leaves. So it's like, these things are a total mind fuck to negotiate. Um, and I just, I think they'll be difficult. And I think you can't be that difficult in the process of negotiating. So bottom line, the networks have all the leverage right now. Mind of B asks, with the virus not contained in the U.S. at all compared to many other countries, 
Can we expect to see the boxers that draw large gates to have fights in Macau, Middle East, Montreal, Australia, Tokyo, where the virus has been contained much better for gate, much better for gate money? Um, mine would be for week in, week out fights. I think you'll see most of that stuff either in Vegas or LA based studios, um, or at least for right now, the virus isn't, I don't want to say it's under control because the LA numbers are in particular really high, but like it's, it's, it's not spreading like it is in other parts of the country and people in LA, I think at this point would kind of like know the drill, um, you know, I would say that it's it's going to be an extra challenge in L.A. because you're looking at, you know, sort of studio fights and it might be harder to do a bubble than what they're doing in Vegas, than what ESPN and Top Rank are doing in Vegas. Like, but I mean, Vegas, like I'm actually relatively optimistic that we'll see crowds in the fall, especially like outdoor crowds. Like I think, you know, I, I really am optimistic about that, cautiously optimistic, but I mean... Like, literally, the business model of Las Vegas as a whole, not just boxing in Las Vegas, depends on that. Um, international fights in general are going to be a challenge because it depends on where the fighters are located, where they train, where they live, um, which could be different from where they're located. Uh, so, especially if, like, there's travel bans in European countries with people coming from the U.S., that's going to have a major impact. I mean, it's, you know... Like I said, it goes to their sparring partners. Like, there's all these different things um, that factor in that will make it. If the if there is a really really big fight, you're gonna have to make preparations way ahead of time, and and that's gonna be hard. Um, I haven't followed Montreal closely. I'm not sure what the deal is there. It, you know, look that for certain, that's gonna be the only place where I think you'll see like mid level fights that could have crowds. I'm not sure how much of a difference that makes uh, in gate. If we're talking pay-per-view level fights, I mean, look, anything in the world is possible. It just is. But at the same time, there's a lot of challenges that come. And I, you know, I kind of listed some of them. Um, but look, we can look at specific examples here too. I mean, you know, there's obvious candidates from Macau and Middle East, like Pacquiao versus whoever, Fury versus Wilder 3, like, those, you know, those can get significant site fees, um, you know, but if we see them, we'll probably see them still at, like, U.S. pay-per-view time. Like, it starts to get tricky when you talk about the pay-per-view fights, um, like, let's say Lomachenko-Lopez or, or Spence-Danny Garcia, if those, we're, those are pretty much a lot to be in the U.S. right now, but... If they weren't, I think it's like a legitimate question as to how they would air them. And I'll kind of get into this a little bit more in, in another question coming up. But like, um, it, it, there's just a, there's a ton of ifs for this. And I think if you're going to go down a rabbit hole if you go through every single one of them. Um, Grant Bale asked, which is more impactful for the sport of boxing, operating as a league or being more accessible for cable viewers? You previously mentioned those two things as if they were connected, but I do not understand that. Boxing could operate as a league with multiple TV streaming options, and boxing could become more accessible on cable without operating as a league. Uh, Grant, this is a pretty good question. Like In terms of pure impact, I think if, if you mean reaching the most viewers long-term 
and having the best plan to increase the popularity of the sport long term, then operating as a league or as a unified or just even more of a league with more more unified procedures, I think that's really the most important thing. Um, I think if boxing did this, the second part would just come, like the accessibility for all viewers will be there. I think it would be pretty easy to figure out that part. Like right now, at least pre-COVID, like we were seeing a fragmentation of viewership all over the place, like so many different platforms. And I think it just confused casual boxing fans. Okay, we are back without my kids screaming in the background. Um, But as I was saying, I think more than anything, it confused casual boxing fans. There were too many fights on each show, too many shows on each Saturday night, not enough clarity to the casual or even to the hardcore fan of when boxing started or when the boxing they cared about started, how many fights were on, what the fights actually meant in a greater context. And I could go on more and more for this. Um, you know, the best of both worlds for me would be if boxing was on only two or three different networks like the NFL or NBA. Each of them had clearly defined lanes as to what they were televising and when they were televising it. And I think boxing, that would actually make boxing more accessible to cable viewers on the whole and, you know, it, the benefits of a league is that you can actually take that accessibility and add a lot of, a lot of the things to it. Uh, clarity being perhaps most important. <clears throat> I mean, also, I can't really emphasize enough how much sponsorship money boxing leaves on the table, which a league would really help solve. But I think, you know, going back to your original question, I think it's accessible right now, but without definition, a league would just sort of be the best of both worlds. Black Tower Radio asks, Fury and Joshua are negotiating like Deontay Wilder doesn't exist. Are both sides possibly thinking Wilder doesn't fight this year due to the bicep injury? Black Tower Radio, I think Fury is really the guy driving this because he wants the challenges. And given his mental health issues in the past, like, I don't mind it if it keeps him focused. Like, I think if, if that's what he needs to move forward, then that's great. Like, I don't really think he's looking past Wilder. I don't think there's any assumption that the Wilder fight doesn't happen because of the bicep injury. I mean, in fact, everything I've read in print and then, you know, beyond that, everything I've heard uh, outside of that stuff, like behind the scenes, indicates that all parties involved want the fight to happen this year. And if it doesn't happen this year, like really early next year, I mean, this would include networks, promoters, fighters, the pay-per-view industry at large, like, I don't know what they'll do about the live gate. I assume it will be pay-per-view in the U.S. at the traditional time. And if COVID has a really major resurgence, then they'll just stage it somewhere else in the world that has COVID under control. Um, And, you know, look, from AJ's side, I think it's reasonable to map out your year by talking about what your next fight is when your next fight is a mandatory title defense. I mean, I, I don't really think he's looking past it either. I think... Um, you know, there's enough money in, there's enough money for AJ and Fury to fight each other in terms of like a site fee in the UK or in the Middle East, UK pay-per-view revenue, possibly US pay-per-view or license fee revenue, like step aside money can be arranged if need be. But ultimately I think that's, you know, like 
that doesn't matter. Like Wilder has the contractual right to make the fight. I think he'll just make the fight um, with Fury. And I think Fury will likely win, but Wilder can definitely win. Like, you know, uh, I don't, I, I think Wilder can beat anybody in the division if he uses the right strategy. Dan Levine asks, assuming that Fury Joshua happens next year, and this is sort of a corollary from Black Tower Radio's question, how many pay-per-view buys for that fight? How many buys, if the fight takes place in the UK or Saudi Arabia, finally would an undisputed title fight add significantly to the buy rate? <coughs> Dan, really tough to answer this question right now because we're missing so many pieces of information that are relevant uh, to giving you an accurate answer here. I mean, first of all, I think you're asking this question under the assumption that both guys win their interim fights. Obviously, I just addressed that above. Fury beating Wilder is no guarantee by any means. Second, you're assuming that the pandemic is relatively controlled by then, and there is some sense of a pathway to normalcy for other sports besides boxing. Um, so I'll just start with the easiest part. Is to answer the last part of your question first, would an undisputed title add to the buy rate? Yeah, absolutely. Like, boxing as a sport hasn't had that in forever, and the storylines around it would be huge. It'd get a ton of press in the U.S. Um, you know, there's just, there's be an opportunity to build everyone's name here in the process because this storyline could play out over the whole next year. Um, to answer your first part of the question, it's, like, really tough, and I'm going to go through a lot of complicated stuff right here. So if Fury beats Wilder in a boring fight and it underwhelms in terms of pay-per-view buys and the networks involved aren't as committed as they were previously because they're focused on all the other major U.S. sporting events they have going on, it might not do as well on pay-per-view as it did, you know, like it, at least in the U.S. Or, 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 you know, Wilder Fury might not do as well. And then Fury AJ wouldn't do as well as you think on pay-per-view. And it brings up a pretty significant question here. If it's in the Middle East or in the U.K., do you just do it on UK pay-per-view time to maximize that revenue stream, which would be huge? Or do you do it later and still try to get a big UK pay-per-view revenue stream, but also get a US pay-per-view revenue stream? Like how many UK pay-per-view buys do you lose by doing it at that compromised time? And how many do you make up in the United States? Like, Remember, main event starting times in the US are traditionally around 11.30 p.m. Eastern which is like 4.30 a.m. in most of the U.K. U.K. main event pay-per-view times are traditionally around 10 p.m. U.K. time, which I believe is like 5... Uh, I, I think that's the case. Um, 5 p.m. That's 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific in the U.S. I mean, you're not doing a pay-per-view at 2 p.m. Pacific, I'll tell you that. I don't know what the U.K. pay-per-view market... Like, I don't know that like a true insider, but I'm pretty positive whatever the record is for it, like this will break it and likely by maybe even a multiple. Like I think I read somewhere that AJ did like 1.9 million for his rematch against Ruiz. He did 1.5 million buys against Klitschko. Um, and remember these are like lower prices than they are in the US. They're like 25 or 30 pounds, something like that. Like AJ Fury might capture the attention. I mean this could do... You know, I, like, obviously, I don't know the UK pay-per-view market. I'm guessing a fight of that magnitude would do 4 million pay-per-view buys there. Like, it could, if, if, if they haven't hit 2 million yet, like, this could double it. It might, it might only do 3 million. Whatever it is, it's going to be far and away bigger 
than whatever the previous record was. Could even do five million. Who knows? But that's if it's prime time. Like if it's prime time in the U.S., it's different. I mean, you you, you know, you're like 4:30 a.m. is kind of a tough one in the U.K. Um, now there's still really good pay-per-view numbers for big fights that happen at 4:30 a.m. in the U.K., but it's, it's just a different conversation. You know, you also, if the event was prime time in the U.S., you have to deal with that pesky like the zone ESPN issue. Um, but let's say for context, it's airing like a normal U.S. pay-per-view. If it's happening in the Middle East, I think very few reporters go there. And I don't think you can expect, I mean, like, basically the very high end of what you could expect for that is like 500,000 pay-per-view buys. Um, and that's the best case scenario where the date is clear, both guys have big campaigns behind them, but more likely you're probably looking at like 300,000, something like that. Um, and that, and that's I still think that's a pretty positive way of looking at things. They'd have to build the fight up in the U.S., even if it was happening in the Middle East, to get to that number. I think the number would go up, like, maybe even dramatically if the fight took place in Las Vegas. Because there, you have the press covering it. Uh, you probably get the networks behind it, especially ESPN, in a way that they would not have been otherwise. Um, and that might get to Wilder Fury 2 levels or even higher if everything breaks the right way. I think, like, people don't understand this. Marketing and promoting a pay-per-view, and this involves everything from press to creative marketing materials to shoulder programming to marshalling all the other elements you can do, which we've seen ESPN do pretty successful, as we have seen Fox do really successfully so far, you can drive up pay-per-view buy rate by, by doing that. Um, at HBO and Showtime, it's more about utilizing the cable system and doing an off-channel spend. But if you do all these things really successfully, um, you can definitely get to Wilder Fury 2 levels or higher. I think there it's like the floor is probably more like 500,000. You probably got a great shot of hit, hitting 750. You might even hit a million if you do it right. If these guys are out there. If there's a true narrative to this. And the narratives are somewhat easy to write right now, but we don't know what's going to happen because both of these guys have interim fights. And remember, these guys have fought a few times in the U.S., but they are mainstays. So how that part is handled will determine a lot of this. Like, there's still foreigners here. And if the network and press, like, they, if they don't really get behind it, you lose a lot of the upside. There is a precedent for million-plus buy rates with pay-per-view with one foreign heavyweight, but not really with two. So I do hesitate a little bit. I mean, and... and there's just so much to happen in between now and then. And there's also the question of, like, what happens in the U.K.? If, if the fight's in the U.K., and it's still a little bit more accessible than it would be, and I should say a little bit, it's still a lot more accessible than it would be if it was in the Middle East, you probably go up a little bit from that, let's assume, 300,000 by base or 250,000 by base, something like that. Um, but who knows by how much? 
I mean, you could also try something weird. Like you could try to start the pay-per-view earlier but hit a compromise for both markets. Like maybe try to get the main event going at midnight in the U.K., you know, 1 a.m. in the U.K., where it's still earlier in the U.S. but not at the traditional pay-per-view time, but you still put it on pay-per-view. And you'd probably expect a little bit of a lower buy rate in the U.K., but probably still really high. And then still pretty significant U.S. pay-per-view sales. And there's also, I actually think there's a really pretty straightforward and realistic compromise where you can just say, hey, why don't we just do a joint broadcast for the U.S. and anyone who subscribes to either ESPN Plus or DAZN can just watch it on the U.S., not on pay-per-view. And you'll just do it at U.K. pay-per-view time, whether it's in the Middle East or the U.K. I mean, I think this is, you know, in terms of a streaming service compromise, that's as equal terms as you're going to get. I mean, both networks just air the same thing, and it's only available on streaming services that do have a smaller paywall. But, you know, yeah, I mean, you probably got to deal with the fact that ESPN Plus is cheaper than DAZN on a monthly basis. Um, but that's, you know, a much easier conversation to have than saying regular ESPN gets it and it's free there or that DAZN has to break their model and do a joint pay-per-view. Um, so I know I bounced around a lot on this question, but I just think that, I mean, there's just too many factors here. And I think there's a lot of historical data that suggests that it's tough to, I mean, I've actually been part of these where you're trying to do a pay-per-view on U.S. time in foreign areas, and it's tough. Like, you you got to really go the extra mile. It's just really hard to do that. Uh, your pay-per-view buy rates will go down. Um, all right. Mike asks, are meaningful fights between elite fighters possible with no live gate? Is there a business model that can make it worth the risk for them in the COVID era of social distancing? Mike, if you're asking whether meaningful fights between elite draws are possible, I think is really tough. But can meaningful fights happen between elite fighters with no gate? Absolutely. Like, especially in the lower weight classes, non-commercial weight classes, like it might even actually be easier to make these fights because what we're seeing is just mismatches at the very top right now. Like we, I mean, we haven't seen this, but like when we're, we're talking about Canelo coming back, but not fighting an elite fighter, you know, we're talking about AJ fighting Pulev. Like we, you know, I, I didn't list that fight up top, but we're Wilder Fury and then Spence Garcia. Though those, Two and obviously Lomachenko, Lopez, and I, you know if if Tank and Leo happen, like those four pay per view fights, they you probably two of them can probably happen without a crowd. The other two need crowds, um, you know. But you you kind of can see those happen. Like you you can kind of see those happen. Um, they definitely will want the gate, and if, if it looks like they can delay it and get more of the gate, they'll do it. I think at, at a certain point, with you know, I'd say Spence, Garcia, and I think Lomachenko, Lopez, probably, you could probably just do those. Like, you could probably just find a place where, where, you know, Texas or Las Vegas and do those fights, and, and you may not be as reliant on the gate for those two fights, but I think for the, you know, 
for the other fights, like you, you, you probably want the gate, but it's going back to the non pay per view stuff. I mean, I expect DAZN to put on several of these sort of like smaller weight class fights or women fights. I mean, we should we should be seeing. I know there's a huge hubbub about the Serrano Taylor fight for women's fights, but, but this stuff actually should be easier to do. Like these, this stuff is all value. Like you're all, you, you should be paying less for these kind of fights to give these fighters career high paydays. Same with the smaller weight classes. Um, you know, going back to what I was saying about Las Vegas, like I expect Las Vegas to just figure out how to get people in stance. And I mean, did, like not to go on a crazy sidebar here, but like, you know, Las Vegas future depends on this and other gaming properties around the world, especially near China, have had to figure this out because these types of viruses have become more common in that part of the world. And a lot of the same companies own places in both areas. And like, if you look at the countries that are successful in dealing with this stuff, like, I don't want to get too much into this, but they test and they contact trace. And we don't really do that right now. But, like, this stuff isn't rocket science. Outdoors is a big reducer of spreading the virus. Taking temperatures at the door, easy part of it. Everyone wears a mask. Like, there are simple things you can do that really reduce risk. You know, but, look... This is how we're going to have to operate as a society. And other parts of the world have figured this out. Like Hong Kong still has people on crowded public transportation right now because they all wear masks and they test and they contact trace. Um, the numbers for them, the numbers of transmission there are low. And, the, you know, the people who get seriously ill are low. And it's like this is something that as a society – the United States is capable of figuring this out. Many other parts of the world have figured this out. And um, I expect Las Vegas to figure it out because literally its its future depends on it in a, in a way that no other part of America, um, that's the case. Um, okay, final question here, a longer one from Homer. A few weeks ago on the pod, I remember you saying an entity could buy up all the promoters which got me to thinking, is there an opportunity for DAZN to get purchased right now due to the circumstances around COVID? Although Netflix doesn't uh, want live sports in their platform, could a company like that buy DAZN to be a sister service? What about the other streamers that have dabbled in sports like Hulu or Prime? And then if DAZN did close shop on boxing, what other existing entity could pick up the slack for Matchroom, Golden Boy, smaller promoters that have deals but we're working or that don't currently have deals but we're working with his own through Eddie. Uh, he lists a couple of examples here. Okay, look, Homer, to answer your first question, I do think DAZN will ultimately get sold, but that is probably years away and it's the wrong way of thinking about it right now. Like they're still trying to build a much bigger worldwide business before that moment comes. And I'd expect soccer to be a huge part of it going forward. One of the things I've said before, and I think it's really important here to remember, that DAZN as a company is going nowhere. Like, DAZN as a company is here to stay. Um, there are all these narratives about how it's having trouble getting sub numbers in the U.S. That's like a U.S. thing. That's not a worldwide thing for DAZN. It's incredibly successful 
around the world in many other places. People think it's like going out of business here. That's nonsense. It will just move on to other sports if boxing doesn't work out for them worldwide. Um, and they definitely won't sell under duress because of boxing. Like They'll just focus more on other sports that have been successful for them. Uh, the only way that a U.S. streaming service would actually buy it is at like a bargain basement price. I think that's really unlikely. But let's just pretend here for a second. Like I actually think Apple, Amazon, and Google would be the best candidates to buy it at the right moment, depending on how ambitious they wanted to be with live sports. Amazon has dabbled in sports. Like They can now say they've done Thursday Night NFL. They've done a few English Premier League games. Um, they have some employees that are solely focused on sports there. Apple hired a big-name exec who was at Sports Illustrated, and then Amazon. Apple has shown interest in Pac-12 and college uh, sports rights. Google, I think, is a sleeping giant here at some point because YouTube and YouTube TV might become ambitious enough to go after live sports. Uh, YouTube TV actually just increased their price dramatically. I think from 50 bucks to 65 bucks a month. YouTube, its core business model, live audience doesn't matter, but at some point, cat videos cannot be, like cat videos in worldwide scaling can't be the revenue driver um, for all these places. And I think like everybody's going after information. So it's also like as a marketer, and this is a sidebar, but like as a marketer, what there are businesses that do very well with marketing with, with a company like Google. And then there's just like, I, can, I mean, I could tell you from pay-per-view, unless you're doing a funnel, um, a digital funnel, it's just not that effective and you're not going to spend too much money there. And I think that's like a much different conversation because there's plenty of businesses that YouTube and Google are right for, but I think there's also plenty of businesses that just don't know what to do and they just go to the behemoth basically, which, you know, which is this kind of stuff. And I think eventually, um, and we've seen, we've already seen some signs of this. Like there've been a lot of places where during the pandemic, digital numbers have gone up, but revenue has gone down. Um, because they're so algorithmic, algorithmically based. Um, and I think like a live captive audience is still the, the most valuable thing to advertisers. All right, second part of your, your question is really depressing. I highly doubt any other network would pick up boxing, at, the, at least at the, at the level that DAZN was doing it or even close to that level. I'm not even sure this would have happened pre-COVID, to be honest, but I think it's like way more likely it would have happened pre-COVID. Post-COVID, there's not that much hope. I mean, it, you, I described it earlier. Like, a lot of these places, NBC has, has cut salaries um, in certain places where they publicly said they were doing it. Um, Fox has had layoffs that have affected boxing and, and WWE and golf. Um, ESPN has had salary cuts at the very top to zone for a lot of people. Um, CBS has had major um, job losses. Now, Showtime hasn't, but CBS has. Uh, the 
if you're a promoter right now, you lose your exclusive deal somewhere, you're, you're in trouble. Like, you're just in trouble. Um, and I think big picture, the biggest leagues out there, they, were, they are going to see probably small to medium-sized increases in rights fees and everybody else. And I think boxing is definitely included in everybody else. Everyone else is going to struggle in the next few years. Even the best-equipped niche sports are going to struggle. Um, this will not be a phenomenon unique to boxing. Like Even at the very top, maybe with the exception of the NFL, you're unlikely to see crazy increases. But everyone is experiencing pain right now. Um, it, is, it is really tough, and I think it's just not going to go away for a while. Like, th this is, um, you know, th this is just really, really tough. I don't think Turner would reenter. They paid, you know, HBO and HBO Max, are, they're just out of the live event business. Like, they're basically becoming Netflix. Uh, Turner, I doubt it, although maybe they would entertain it under the right circumstances. Um a lot of the networks just are so they traditionally have televised boxing, but uh, they struggle with, with dealing with it because it's so labor intensive. Uh, and, and I think boxing is just going to be in the category of all these other niche sports that just, they're just all going to struggle. Um, and, and I don't think it's not like this is a death sentence. This is, they're just going to struggle to see increases. And so it's going to remain flat and that's, going to be tough for people. Um, okay, on to the preview section. Tomorrow night, Thursday, July 2nd, we had Jamel Herring fighting uh, Jonathan Akendo. That one will now be Jose Pedraza versus Mikel Lespierre, which we were going to see earlier. And there's a pretty interesting Robeski-Ramirez fight, uh, a rematch in the guy who beat him in his pro debut, Aiden Gonzalez. Um... Pedraza, I think, is like 12 to 1 favorite, something like that right now. Uh, but that that we kind of went through earlier on some of those odds. Herring obviously fell out due to him getting COVID-19. Um, but we, I will talk about him in a second. Tuesday, July 7th, we had Ivan Branchik versus Jose Zapata. Now Branchik's injury took him out. Zapata will be fighting Kendo Castaneda. The co-main will be Andy Vences versus Luis Alberto Lopez. No odds on that because it is a relatively recent change. Thursday, July 9th, we had Big Baby Miller coming back in against Jerry Foster. Now it's Carlos Tacom versus Jerry Foster. That just got posted, and there are no odds out on that that I can find yet. Jared Anderson will also be on that undercard. Tuesday, July 14th, we have Jamel Herring fighting Jonathan Akendo. Herring is still like a 15-to-1 favorite. Michaela Meyer fighting Helen Joseph. Both of these are rescheduled fights. Michaela Meyer due to a false positive. Jamel Herring due to a positive test. All right. I don't know what will be the deep dive next week. We will have a lot of stuff to go over. Um, maybe I'll just talk about Big Baby Miller. I never even talked about Big Baby Miller failing an IQ test again. Um, that will be a fun one. I could talk about that for a while. Anyways, enjoy the next two weeks of fights. The Q&As are always fun for me. I love hearing your questions because a lot of it is stuff that I don't necessarily think about. Um, I am 
sorry that my kids, who I thought were in bed, chose to get out of bed and there's that little interruption. But that is living the COVID-19 lifestyle um, and trying to do a podcast. All right, guys. Talk to you in two Did you get what you was looking for? Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts.